Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Teacher Takeaway podcast. You are joining us for episode 19. And in this episode, we'll be talking about creating culturally inclusive schools. And we are diving into the inquiry question how do we create culturally inclusive schools and classrooms? So it is Aaron here hosting this episode, but I have James with me. Hello, James. Hello, Aaron. Great to be back for another episode. Yes, it's great to have you back. It's been a while since we've been on together, so it's good to catch up and have a chat um, with you again after a little bit of a break. But um, we have a really, really incredible special guest with us. I'm super excited to introduce our listeners to the awesome, the amazing, the incredible Professor Chochi Ravulo. Hello, Chochi. Hello. Hi, everyone. We are so excited to have you with us. Thanks for joining us for this episode. Thanks heaps, Aaron. Thanks heaps, James. I am looking forward to being involved. Well, for those of you listening, if you haven't heard of Chochi, uh, Alice and I had the amazing privilege of working with Chochi for the Aspiring Principles Leadership Program. And we just got so much out of this session that we wanted to have you on with us so for our listeners, here's a little bit of a background. Uh, professor Chochi Ravulo is the Professor and Chair of Social Work and Policy Studies in the Sydney School of Education and Social Work at the University of Sydney. His research, writing and areas of interest include health and well-being, youth, diversity and inclusion, de- decoloniality and educational leadership. He has been involved and invited to author over 70 publications, including peer-reviewed journal articles, scholarly book chapters, research reports, and opinion pieces. Chochi, you're a busy man. Look, I uh, try and keep out of trouble, so that's what's happening there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we are super excited to to chat with you and learn from you in this episode. And we always start off with this question outside of your bio. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you tell us a bit more about yourself and um, your journey so far as an educator? Sure. So where do I begin? So I'd just like to start by acknowledging I'm on the unceded lands of the Gadigal people of the Oran Nation, pay my respects to elders past, present, emerging, always was, always will be Aboriginal land. It's within that context that I think for me, my own educational journey um, has been shaped. I come from a diverse background in my own uh, way. Um, Grew up in public housing in in Greater Western Sydney to an Indigenous Fijian father and an Anglo-Australian mother. And so I always felt different. I always felt like I didn't necessarily fit in. And I think part of that shaped my desire to be involved in creating educational spaces, but even societies more broadly that were inclusive. And I think that's where a lot of my journey to become um, an educator, to become a social worker really was born from. Um, I have an undergraduate degree in social work, a master's in education and a doctorate in cultural uh, research. And it's through those particular areas that I've come to understand that we as a society can be better when it comes to inclusion. So a lot of my ongoing work um, as an academic, but also as a practitioner, as an educator, is is creating some of those critical conversations uh, and how we can be involved, how everyone can be involved in those shared conversations. 
awesome. And we are so excited for you to, to share some of that knowledge and insight with us in this episode today. Thank you. And Chochi, hearing, you know, and thank you for sharing about that and, you know, your beginning and that bit of background from from a family, your experience, um, did you attend a public school before I asked the question? Mm, I did. I did. I'm a proud product of public education. There was a couple of years that I went to a Catholic school. Yeah. Um, year nine and 10, but outside of that, I was involved in the public education system. And um, my my uh, involvement in public education was foundational in me understanding yeah. um, the realities of diversity as well. Um, I was first in my family to go to university as well, and, and, I, and I'm a product of a university that was established uh, with people like me in, in, in minds. I went to Western Sydney University, then yeah. University of Western Sydney, and then vision, their initial founding vision was to support the education of those that traditionally didn't go on to further education and training. So as a result of being a product of a, a vision like that, I, I'm now positioned to be involved in having broader conversations with people yeah. and educational engagement and the transformational nature of what education can do. Oh, 100%. And like Aaron, when he was reading your bio and then just hearing a little bit of your background yourself and what you've gone on to do is is amazing. And you must, in all the different stakeholders that you've spoken with, just provide that inspiration from regardless of who you are or where you come from, you can make a difference. And I guess early on in your um, you know schooling, whether it's in a primary or in a high school, did did you feel that schools were a I guess a diverse safe space did you feel safe culturally within your primary and high school before I go into my other question yeah that's a great question so I think one of the key things that made a difference for me we were like the only Pacific family Pacific Island family in our primary school and (laughs) all of that sort of stuff and then grew up in uh, more of a diverse um, you know high school setting my last two years of high school was at Newtown High School the performing arts there was other areas of diversity there yeah yeah um, which was great I think what the what the key uh, thing though um, in in each of those particular areas was that there were teachers, educators that were genuinely committed to championing their students um, and authentically in a way that actually enabled my engagement to occur. So there was a genuine belief that where I came from and what I brought to the classroom uh, could be utilised as part of the learning experience. And I went on to then understand theoretically what that means, but I think that was the point of difference is that as educators, I think it is our responsibility, but also it makes it much easier as educators when we meaningfully include the person's diversity yeah. in learning, that's where you get the engagement. A hundred percent. And that's what I was really interested in hearing from your theory, your research, but also from your practical experience. Us as educators, how do you think, what does the evidence and research say of how we should engage with, with diverse communities? One of the leading concepts that we're trying to really promote more broadly in educational spaces includes the concept of cultural humility. So traditionally, we've utilised another concept called cultural competence, this idea that you do a two or three hour online course, and then all of a sudden you're culturally competent in working <laughs> with a particular ethnic group, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of times it's First Nations mm-hmm. 
But the problem with cultural competence is that a lot of the time it's about us and them, the others, those people that need to be understood in the context of their diversity. At no time do we ever, ever look at our own contribution to why they're marginalised or made to feel different. So cultural humility is a concept that really tries to flip that on its head. One of the key components of cultural humility is that it's all about creating a fluid and flexible approach to engaging diversity. It's where relationships are formed and it's where people go into diversity knowing that it is a shared space. It's not an us and them, it's a we. It's about creating opportunities for for we to be part of the same space whilst also celebrating our diversity. And can you tell, Chochi, in your experience, whether it's been at universities, whether it's been in in public spaces, whether it's been in schools, can you tell the difference when entering that space um, when you're talking about, I guess, the cultural humility opposed Mm. to cultural competence, which sounds more tokenistic and not as authentic? Totally. So with cultural competence, that is more around being static and fixed, where you sort of even use a cookbook approach of, okay, when I see this area of diversity, I need to do this, that will lead to this, and then we get that outcome. Whereas with cultural humility, it's about building a rapport and a relationship in a way that enables you to then connect in a fluid and flexible way. It's where you're encouraged to have a dialogue with people of diversity. So rather than assume that, oh, this person looks like that or comes from that background, this is what I need to do. No, you you actually remove yourself from creating a level of rapport and engagement. So with cultural humility, it's about getting to know the other person based on their areas of diversity. Now, I need to note that when we talk about diversity in the context of cultural humility, we're not just talking about ethnicity. We're also talking about diversity when it comes to other intersecting areas. And that includes things like age, class, gender expression, ability, language, indigeneity, sexuality, and so on and so forth. Like there's so many different intersecting areas of diversity. And that's the other thing that we need to keep in mind is that we're not just an ethnicity or a class. We're also a gender expression or an an ability and a sexuality and a spirituality. And we bring all of those intersecting areas of our identity to a space and place. No, awesome. Thank you for sharing. I know Aaron's got the next question, but that concept of where you elaborated on diversity, it creates that sense of belonging. And I'm sure when you've got that sense of belonging within those spaces, the output that you're going to get by working collaboratively, whatever it might be you're you're doing, depending upon the context. But I think it all comes back to that sense of belonging um, to to have within that place. So thank you for sharing that. And over to you, Aaron. (laughs) Georgie, did you want to add to what James was saying? Oh, no, as James is saying that, because I know we're being recorded on, on a Zoom and we can see each other, as James was saying belonging, I was like, thumbs up, thumbs up. <laughs> I, I completely agree, because that's what we're mm. trying to do, right? We're, we're trying to create safe spaces for everyone where they're able to bring their authentic selves to the learning environment. Because we know also that 
If you look at some of those key theorists like Paulo Freire, who talks about critical pedagogies, a lot of that stuff is around if you if you acknowledge diversity exists in a classroom, you enable that to be made visible and such areas of diversity then is present. And as a result of people from diverse backgrounds feeling like they are visible, they feel included. And as a result mm. of feeling included, they then engage and contribute to their learning environment, the environment which enables them to then be part of that community, and then they can be retained and progress and achieve learning outcomes in a shared, authentic way. Mm, yeah. And I love what you were saying too, Chochi, about it's it's not a one-size-fits-all approach as well. Like every every person that we meet, with even within a cultural group or one of those groups, is going to be different. And the approach that we take needs to be that one of coming to that shared you know, that place where we're, it's a shared space. And, you know, the the idea of flipping it from cultural humility, where, like you said, uh, sorry, from cultural competence, where it's like, I've done this, this, and this, and now I can engage, but it's a continual journey that we go on. For our listeners, have you got some, I guess, um, I guess, what cultural humility looks like, I guess, in practice, or the different, I guess, components that make up cultural humility? Yes. So some of those practical areas is all about being able to create scope for conversations to be had in a relationally driven way. So it's about being able to have a a dialogue with people and create a level of rapport because it's through that rapport that you build trust and create scope for those particular collaborations to occur. So for example, if you've got diverse students in your classroom, speak to them about what they may have done on the weekend. And so by asking them what they might do on the weekend, they are able to then contribute their own lived experience of what it means to do things on the weekend. Because a lot of time we might presume that they might do this, this, this and that, because that's what we might do on the weekend. But for a lot of people from different diverse backgrounds, and again, keep in mind when I talk about diversity, I'm not just talking about ethnicity, I'm also talking about class and religion um, and you know all of those other areas of diversity. When you, when you allow the student to talk about their lived experience in different contexts, it enables them to feel valued for where they're coming from. And, and the key thing there is you're enabling them to share parts of themselves in a learning environment that enables them to feel like they are valued for their diversity. And so as educators, we don't necessarily have to get them to do that in front of the whole class. But a good example is, for example, you might be talking about as certain topic areas in certain key learning areas and encouraging students to actually talk about what certain concepts might mean in their family. And you might not necessarily name their family based on their ethnicity, but it's about them being able to talk about their experience um, in their context. And, and, and it might vary from student to student, but that's the idea again, is it's about them feeling like they're valued for having a level of visibility and even voice for areas of diversity that does exist in the classroom. Mm. One of the other key things just to keep in mind is that, and Paulo, Paulo Ferreri talks about this a lot, the students, when they come into our classroom, they're not empty vessels. They come with a wealth of knowledge and experience. And so it's important that as educators, we tap into that particular experience as a means to also transform the learning environment. Mm. 
And I think too, it creates that, you know, I, I did use the word belonging before, but that sense of safety um, as well, because I think within our classrooms or whatever space it might be, if we don't have that sense of belonging or the sense of safety, that individual is not able to thrive or to honestly share and open up their opinion or, or, or what it may be. So I think it's so important that there is that mutual respect and mutual understanding within that space. Um, and I think too, and Chachi, you might know more than me and the research in this area, personally in being able to work in some different school communities, I'm, I'm finding our school communities becoming more and more diverse as the years go on. Um, and again, we're not just talking about culturally here. We know that Australia is a very cultural, diverse country, which we love and share. But I think even too, when we talk about all the different things that make us up, because society is changing over time, which is making us more diverse, it's really important that we kind of create that within our school because schools are the hub, um, you know, of our community. And I guess, too, if some of our listeners are thinking, wow, how's my school going or how can I engage families and communities more in making my school uh, a, a culturally diverse, safe place? You got any recommendations or strategies on, on schools to think about in that area? Definitely. Schools as learning communities should be seen as beyond the four walls of a school community. Schools as learning communities is a broader concept that enables the school to understand its place in the wider community in which it's located. So one of the key things could be around being able to create scope for different diverse groups to actually come and meet with educators and intentionally name those areas of diversity as a means to actually encourage such engagement. I think sometimes when we think of areas of diversity, we go, oh, by naming it, we actually create uh, silos and or barriers. It's actually the opposite. If we name areas of diversity that are visible, it does provide scope for people to actually go, oh, I'm part of that community. Um, I want to come and be involved. But it's also about ensuring that we don't create silos within schools as well. So it's an opportunity for the wider school community to also celebrate other areas of diversity as they appear in, in different ways. It's like going back to, and one of the ways that we'll know that actually as educators is going back to the classroom again. So if you are asking students to talk about what they might do on the weekend or how what they do in their spare time, they may say things like, oh, I went to the mosque or I went to church or I went to the temple. Or they might say that, you know, on the weekend they visited, um, you know, uh, their, their cousin's family and they've got two fathers and uh, you know, they might have certain relatives that may be from this particular background. But the idea is that as educators, we're constantly then also understanding the diversity in our own classroom, which then can shape the way in which our broader school community can, to, can, can embrace diversity off the back of what's happening locally in the classroom. So part of that approach is, is ensuring that our educational leaders are attuned to this approach to ensuring that diversity is happening and embraced in the classroom, but also how that then is broadly focused on as part of the school community. And two, I, I agree with everything that you're saying, and that's why I, I think too within our school, we need to be really careful and meaningful in the makeup of how our space looks. You know what I mean? It, it needs to be representative of our school community and um, the diversity, the needs of that. Because if you can create 
um, different things that it might be, you know, specifically in my context, we've got about 22%, which I identify being Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander. Mm. So we're really mindful as soon as we walk in the front school gates from a signage within our office for you, different things um, for, for our Aboriginal community to feel culturally safe as they come in. And it's not enough anything that we're doing, but it's purposeful makeup of our spaces. And I think too, for educators within the classroom too, how does your classroom space look and how is it creating that cultural diversity and that, it, you know, acceptance and a safe place for, for, for students to be? Totally, totally. Because that's part of the strategy as well and the practical way in which you can make diversity visible. Because yeah. what happens also is it's co-learning. So it's not just about the person from a diverse background sharing their diversity. You're also enabling those that are not from that diverse background to learn that such diversity exists mm, in yeah. their learning space. And they get to see and create a relationship with such diversity. Too often, and this is what we see from the research and practice, is that people form stereotypes and tropes of areas of diversity because they haven't meaningfully interacted with those areas of yeah. diversity. So if you're providing diversity to be made visible in different spaces and places and to create a relationship with such people that represent such areas of diversity, you demystify and destigmatize those areas whilst also creating meaningful and sustained relationships amongst people. And that's what's really key. It's about then creating those connections, which then create that sustainable approach to diversity in learning environments. And, and uh, I agree too, because like you were sharing there from an educational sense, it's so important. It's not just left up to schools to educate about cultural diversity, but um, we understand that it comes from a parenting responsibility, but also too, we know that our students from a younger age are engaging in watching different content and content's changing, whether it's in movies, TV shows, um, whether it's in posters on buses, kids are being exposed to cultural diversity more incidentally as we become more, more aware. And I think it's really important that we educate and we use that as learning opportunities for our kids, because if they have an ex understanding of of the why and where it's coming from and it's in a safe place rather than misinformation maybe coming from friends in the playground a different thing we're providing them with the tools and understanding to then make more informed opinions and have a deeper understanding as well completely agree two thumbs up again james look i completely <laughs> agree and and that's where you start to also scaffold critical engagement with the world and i don't think you can be it's it's never too too soon, never too early to actually get our learners from stage one up to six to understand how to critically engage with the world around them. And yes, their brain matures in differing ways, definitely. But it is about creating cultural curiosity, which is also part of cultural humility. It's this idea of being able to understand how diversity is part and parcel of the world around them. Mm, yeah so important to have those discussions and I love how you know you were saying Chochi that it's about relationships is like the key and and all of those things create the, the the space for us to build those relationships when we have you know culturally safe spaces or spaces that are culturally diverse and inclusive it leads to that um you know ability to form that relationship so I guess one question I've got for you is it's kind of twofold twofold here what do we what do we do 
outside of, I guess, just the, the physicality of creating spaces to engage with diverse communities. And we you just hit on the idea of, you know, challenging those stereotypes or those those, I guess, biases that we have as as they come up. How do we how do we deal with those in the sense of community when they when they appear other than, you know? Yeah, great question. So one of the things that I've learned over the many years is that you you can't create sustainable solutions if you don't first look at the possible tensions and the possible problems and even the possible judgments that we might have about different areas of diversity. So by 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 understanding our own perspectives on these particular things, which are generally a deficit. So we need to also understand that a lot of the time we may think in a deficit way about diversity. And so it's about them being able to flip that and create more of a strength-based view of diversity. So rather than view a particular subset of the community based on their socioeconomic status as, as not being capable, we need to then look at what well, what are their capabilities and strengths? What can we do to ensure that they are engaged and if there are barriers to engagement, what are we doing to create solutions? Mm -hmm. So that goes yeah. back to the point that I'm making. You can't create solutions if you don't understand the barriers in the first place. Yeah. But again, it's not about going barriers from a problematic point of view. It's uh, what's happening here as an education system, what's happening here as an educator, what's happening here in the classroom that is deterring engagement. And it's by actually unpacking those particular areas that we can then start to, to, to look towards possible solutions. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, like you were saying too, really important to give the community and, and even our students the platform to be able to talk about those things openly and ask the questions and maybe being willing to to hear things that we don't necessarily want to to hear completely agree and that's where student voice is very very important so part of being able to understand the tensions is to hear directly from our students their families and communities what they would like to see in space and place. We as educational leaders, we as educators, as teachers can sort of presume that that's what we need to do, but we need to actually hand that power over and work alongside, not over and on, but with and alongside our students, their communities, to then understand what they would like to see when it comes to engagement across different areas. So I, I liken it almost to that flipped classroom approach where you might be engaging students in their learning around a particular concept, but it's about them then also understanding and giving feedback on how they understand the concept. So a good example is if you will say to students, how can we celebrate diversity in so many different ways, shapes and form based on age, gender, class, religion, sexuality, all that stuff. If you ask students that question, as educators, we can go, oh, not sure whether they'll understand that. But if we frame the concept of diversity in a way that is inclusive and intersectional, we're, I'm always pleasantly surprised with what I get back from young people, from children. And they, they, can, they can provide really nuanced answers. And that's the point. Give the power over to the people that we're working with in the context of our learning environments, school communities, and you'll be pleasantly surprised what you get back. And it's that feedback that we can utilise in creating those solutions together. 
Mm. Yeah, student voices is such an important part in the the process, like you said, not presuming, but having those open, honest conversations. And again, it comes back to that's built in a culture of relate of strong quality relationships. Because we can ask the questions, but students won't necessarily answer if we've done that work to create that safe space where they feel like I can, I can tell you honestly how I how I feel or what my lived experience is. Completely agree. Be prepared though. And I think that's the point that you're also saying is that if we are willing to actually take on that feedback from our students, from their families, from their community, then we also need to follow through. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. You know, and, and if we if we are willing to actually take on that feedback from people, then we need to also, you know, ensure that there's levels of accountability. We need to also be realistic. I know that they might make certain requests and say, oh, we want this new building and we want it next week. And it's like, well, that might not be possible, but let's look at what what the existing infrastructure is and how can we work with such an existing infrastructure to create a space for yourselves. Um, so it's that sort of stuff, right? So working alongside the communities to also navigate some of those expectations, but also have a shared accountability with each other. Mm, yeah. And I think that's so important because for you to be able to work alongside together, your community want to say that you're authentic, that you're genuine, and that you're going to be just follow, you know, you're following through. Because if you're taking the cultural competence where you're using your cookbook approach, mm. I met with them on this date and this time, mm. and I asked for their opinions, but it wasn't done in a genuine way, and that there's no follow through and there's no meaningful connection. Yes. It's just going to remain from a competence perspective and not get you anywhere. You know, that's because exactly right. That's that's people, exactly right. And because because with cultural humility, it's a lifelong process. Yeah. It's not static and fixed. There's no destination. It's, it's you know, one that is, it's not linear either. either. It goes up and down like any relationship. So it's important that you're not trying to reach a particular destination. It's a, it's a journey. And, and you're right. It is about being able to share that journey in a way that is authentic and transparent. And yes, it can be hard to try and live up to certain expectation, but through you having that relationship and open dialogue with areas of diversity in your school community, it creates an ongoing area of community because then you're able to then work together rather than over and on. You are creating an environment that promotes an opportunity to work alongside and with. Perfect. And um, I think, oh, oh, sorry, sorry. So I think it's like that's the key point in the thing that's the the most challenging in this is we never know it all. Like it is a lifelong journey that we are, we need to continue to unlearn and relearn and become, you know, uncomfortable and being able to go, oh, I don't know it all. And I know you said this when we worked um, together in the APLP program, it's about acknowledging when we've made mistakes and we've gone, that was actually, you know, my bad, I, I assumed, or I did this and coming to that place where as a, as a leader, as an educator, I can go, I'm sorry, I actually don't know it all because that's, that's part of building the, that credibility and that strong relationship where we can acknowledge where we've messed up. I said the wrong thing and I did that thing and it wasn't, wasn't the right thing to do, but I'm continually going on this journey rather than shutting down and going, oh, this is too hard. No, I give up. But when we are challenged going, that's part of, that's part of this journey and we will be challenged. 
Completely agree. And that is a component of cultural humility is get over yourselves in the sense of the power that you might prescribe to self. Yes, we have areas of influence. Yes, we have areas of control in our roles as educators, as teachers, as executive in school communities. That, that will happen. But it's about creating scope for people to work alongside yourself in a way that is helpful. And we know that. We know a good leader is one that listens and will also understand when they are not getting it right. And we know that people in leadership roles are seen as being more relationally driven when they also acknowledge that they may need further learning and all that, that they've even stuffed up. Like one of the examples as I give is that, um, working in uh, areas of gender diversity. Sometimes I will, um, you know, not use the correct pronouns. Even if I'm working with somebody um, over a period of time um, and then I, I, I will stop and go, oh, you know, and I should know better, right, because I've been working with this person for a while, but then I will go, oh, I'm so sorry. Um, I, I, I acknowledge that I've missed uh, misused the pronoun, but it's by acknowledging that you enable yourself to be held accountable, but you're also learning yourself from that process. But the other person is also able to feel valued that they understand that you understand. And that's the point, right? It's about also knowing that we don't get it right all the time. It's the same with working First Nations communities. It's, it's the same with working with you know, people from uh, low socioeconomic backgrounds. We might assume that they've got all these resources at home, but that's an assumption. We we need to also be better when it comes to those areas of engagement too. Mm, yeah. Um, next one, Chochi, and I know you've touched on this already with talking about that it needs to be authentic, create a voice, um, and we're working on alongside and with. But what other steps should our listeners be taking moving forward to engage in our community in a meaningful way? One of the other key things that comes with cultural humility is this notion of positionality. So this idea of also understanding how your own areas of diversity shapes and influence how you interact with diversity. So we all come from our own lived experience. So we're all an age, we're all a class, we're all a gender expression, we're all an ability, we're all an educational level, we're all some form of religion or spirituality, we're all form, we're all part of some language group, we're all part of some sexuality. And so it's important that we understand how that then also shades and influence our interactions with self, ourselves, and other people. And it's by examining our own positionality that we can remain critically reflective in our practice approach as educators. And so part of that approach, that sustained approach, is ensuring that apart from being aware of our own intersecting identifiers, which creates our positionality, we're also constantly uh, holding ourselves accountable by understanding where we might improve. And so that's that notion of critical reflection. Yeah. So I know sometimes that might sound very onerous and repetitive, but if we practice a critically reflective approach in our role as educators, as teachers, it actually becomes second nature. And it's something that, that just generally will occur and actually will enhance and actually creates more of a work smarter than harder approach. 
No, I've never heard of that notion of cultural positionality, and I hope I pronounced that right. Mm. I, I've never, like, how you explain the concept, oh, I'm aware of that, but I've never heard that terminology, and it, it really resonates. So thank you for sharing that. I'm, that's something I'm going to be taking away. Oh, that's great. Yeah, because, you know, we we might go into spaces and explain things, again, from yeah, our yeah. gender expression, but then we may fail to understand what that means for other genders uh, yeah. or other people that may be from diverse sexualities or ethnicities or classes. So that's really, we need to be mindful of that. Oh, 100%. Mm. And there's so many times, like, and I know I've repeated this in, in my comments throughout this episode, but relationships, something that you spoke about, but just having that sense of belonging and inclusion where there's that level of authenticity within it. Um, You're not always going to know everything and you're not going to always know everything about every culture or not just talking about the culture, but um, sex, race, age, et cetera. You're never going to know everything, but if you are seen genuine and wanting to learn and bringing other people in to help connect and get an understanding and creating that opportunity for voice, um, I think that goes a long way in forming those relationships that are going to help foster, whether it's in the classroom or whether it's with your community. Exactly. And that's the idea of it being a relationally driven approach yeah. is that it's an ongoing learning journey with self and others. And it actually is about working smarter, not harder. If we wanted to be across all those areas of diversity, oh, how exhausting yeah. to try and become an expert of everything. And that's yep. what life is about. Life is about engaging with people in a relationally driven way. And, yep. and, and exactly as you said, it's about being able to really genuinely, you know, if you don't understand, ask the question. And yeah. it's simple. Just if you don't know, ask rather than yeah. assume because it's through that, you know, process of assumption that you then create tensions as opposed to creating rapport and a genuine relationship. Hmm. Yeah. And and like you were saying, it's it's so important for us to recognise where we're at and some of the, the holes and the missing pieces or the flaws in our own, I guess, knowledge and understanding and being willing to go, not in a deficit model, but just being willing to go, I need to grow in in that area. And I know that's that's through connecting and having relationships. And like you said, asking questions and being able to to say, I'm not quite sure, or, you know, I need to find out more about this. Exactly, exactly. And by asking the question, you allow a person to be valued for their perspective. Mm-hmm. Like, I know working with people from diverse abilities, like understanding what it's like to care for someone with diverse abilities or to encourage such areas of diverse ability, diverse abilities. I like to use the word ability rather than disability. So how do we encourage people with diverse abilities to be meaningfully included in different spaces as well? Generally, we see such areas, again, from a deficit point of view, but it's yeah. about even talking alongside such areas of diversity that we can then understand genuine inclusion. And, and, and that applies across, again, all areas of diversity, really. Mm, absolutely. Well, what a what a, an amazing conversation. The time flies when we're having fun. I'm just looking at the clock going, wow, the time we just got sucked into a time warp, but it has been such a great conversation um chochi how can the how can our listeners keep in touch with you keep up to to date with the work that you're doing 
So feel free, peoples, to follow me on uh, my social media. So it's at Chochi Ravulo. So J-I-O-J-I-R-A-V for Victor U-L-O. So you can find me on Twitter and Instagram, LinkedIn and Facebook. Uh, So you can connect via uh, those particular platforms. And that's where I share uh, my my work and my engagement in different parts of of the community and my my contact details are there as well um, email so very happy to be uh, contacted and uh, yeah to continue a shared conversation around diversity and its differences and its meaningful inclusion across educational spaces and beyond. Awesome. Well, we will definitely share those um, details as well when we promote the episode and in our show notes to follow up the episode um, when we recap the conversation. But what a great chat, James. What are your what are your takeaways so far? I know you mentioned one before, but what are your main things you're taking away? I really love the idea that Chochi shared early on in the episode of cultural humility versus cultural competence. So I've never looked at it that way. Um, and being within a leadership role, I think that's something that I'm going to take with me in my reflection on different things that we do within our our school community as a bit of a self-assessment and self-reflection tool and going, uh, are we being a cultural humility school or or what we're doing? Is it just tokenistic and we're just trying to tick a box to see what Mm. we're doing? And I know that there's more to the cultural competence, but I see it as more tokenistic and just going through a process rather than being genuine and meaningful um, with the cultural humility kind of stance. So that's that's one of my key takeaways within that point. But I think the the bigger picture is that I think this, this notion of cultural humility, when we're focused on education, we're focused on getting results of individuals, whatever those results are, that looks different for every child and every community member. But to get true results for those individuals, it, it all starts with having that sense of belonging and sense of a safe place because if people are currently, not currently, sorry, but always on edge or that they don't have that sense of belonging, their mind's never open. Their minds have constantly got these different thoughts that are going through it. But if we're creating safe classrooms, safe schools, safe communities where there is that safety, we're creating that opportunity for our community and our students to flourish. So that's going to be my other key take takeaway um Aaron how about yourself mate yeah I think a couple of important reminders for me is that it's you know it's a it's all about relationships which we've talked so much in the podcast about everything that we do is is about relationships and I think you know the conversations that we've been having is it's it's not a one-size-fits-all approach and I think the thing that's sticking in my mind is we may have people that identify you know in a similar way whether it's from a cultural background or a particular ethnicity or a religion, but even within that group, everybody wants to be seen and heard in a different way. And it's also not having a cookie cutter approach and going, this is what we do for our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. And this is what we do for, you know, people who are, um, you know, Muslim or it's, it's having that idea of we actually need to meaningfully engage with all of them and meet and find out how they want to be seen and heard and included because there's a spectrum with even in those different diverse groups. So that's my my key takeaway because sometimes we can get into a habit of in schools like tick, we're doing that because we do X, Y, Z. So it's that constant reflection and thinking and checking in um, that self-reflection, that positionality is so important. So yeah, they're my takeaways, but Chochi, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. 
So welcome. Thank you for the opportunity to contribute. It's been an absolute pleasure. Is there any any last pearls of wisdom or anything you want to leave our audience with before we wrap up? Keep on keeping on, everyone. <laughs> Keep on that commitment to uh, being an awesome educator that you all are, knowing that it's a shared space. And by having a shared approach, which includes sharing a conversation in a relational way with others, you then can get shared outcomes for everyone. Awesome. What a great way to finish. Thank you so much, Chochi. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you. That is it for episode 19 of season three. And we are halfway through the year officially. We have made it, people. Um, as we go into the second half of the year, hopefully there's lots of things that have sparked from this conversation. We would love to hear from you, your thoughts, your feedback on this episode. You know how to keep in touch with us on social media at, at Teacher Takeaway Podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode and what uh, what diversity and co- inclusion looks like in your setting. And we also, as always, would love to hear your ideas on topic suggestions moving forward. But like Churchy said, keep on keeping on, keep doing the amazing work that you are doing. And we will have you with us again for another episode of the Teacher Takeaway podcast really soon.